Last week, we, we kind of started off the series talk. Paul comes out of the gate. We're looking at 1 Corinthians, by the way. If you don't know, if you weren't here last week, looking at 1 Corinthians. And Paul comes out of the gate, and he's speaking great big truths about this big C church, that what God is doing through the gospel. And he just kind of, and he does it so quick. I don't even know if the Corinthians, having read the rest of the letter, would have really appreciated the blessing he gives them on the front side in a few verses that we studied, one through three last week. But one of the things I want you to remember is that last week we talked about this big C church. And we're, I'm just going to take just a second to kind of differentiate. Many of you have been around a while. You know, I know this already. Well, we'll just hear it again this morning. But we kind of look at the church in two different ways, if you will. The, the one is the big C church. And this is our use, not biblical use. I want to be clear. The same word as ecclesia we talked about. But that's the ones that God's calling out all over the world. That's when Paul says, for all believers everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord, right? All those everywhere who call the name of the Lord is the church. And that's the big C church. That means what we're doing here at Family Bible this morning is part of what people are doing across town, part of people doing across the state, across the, the world itself and other countries this morning. And so we're part of the big church. But then there's another use of the word, and we call it the little C church. Again, our use, not the Bible's use. And that means the local gathering of believers, right? And in this case, this morning, for you and for me, it's Family Bible Church, where we're gathered here this morning to worship Him. And so we always want to kind of think about both of those things in tension, I guess, that we are part of the big C church of what God is doing. And I hope that you believe that that's true for your own life, that in your discipleship and your belief in the gospel, that God is doing a great big thing in a, in a very maybe small way in your life, a great big global thing, and you're just a little part of it, right? That what God is doing in our life isn't everything, but it's something. But then the other is that there's this local congregation of believers. And I want us to focus on that this morning as we get into the second um, week in the series, because Paul's writing, as we said last week, to a very specific church in a very specific place. And I want to kind of talk about some of the ways that that matters, that this is a, a local congregation of believers, and what, why that should be a blessing to us this morning, why we should appreciate what God is doing through the local church. Um, one thing I want to say as we get into this is we're going to get into some y'alls today. Um, and that's interesting because in English language, we say you, meaning you, each of you, and we say you, meaning all of you. And every time you hear you today, I want you to understand that it's not you, meaning each of you, but it means all of you. And that does matter. That when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he's saying, and this is true for all of you, or like we say down south, y'all. I do have family from down south, by the way. Now they say y'all all the time, y'all. So that's what we do. We say y'all. And so this morning as we read, we're going to actually read y'all into the text as we go through it, as we receive the blessing of the word this morning. And we're going to do what we always do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in and, and cruise through this morning. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to come into your house and to worship you, to sing songs, to lift prayer concerns, to pray, to praise, and to seek you out. And now as we sit under your word, under the authority of your word, I pray that you would teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit in our inner spirit, like that you would change us from the inside out because of your word, because of who you are and who we are in you. I pray for each person here that wherever we're going through, wherever we're at, that we would set back at this time and we would just learn from you, that we'd be disciples at your feet to hear your word this morning. We pray you give us an open mind to your truth, open hearts to believe, and lives to live these things out as we discover them together. May you be glorified as you do your work through your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at, uh, let's see how you did this part. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. We are going to get a slow start here on Corinthians. Don't freak out if you're like a go-faster person. We're going to cover more as this it kind of picks up steam here as Paul's going to say some hard things to the church. But this is kind of like the introduction part two, if you will, of what Paul's saying to the church. And we're just going to talk through these verses this morning. Paul says this, 
I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. And I'm just going to stop right there. And we're going to kind of walk through this like we did last week a little bit. Because I want us to see what Paul's saying. And by the way, you see the first you. I always thank God for y'all, for all y'all there. Because of the grace given to us in Christ Jesus. I want us to realize something. If you've ever thought about a hero of the faith or someone who's gone before and you're like, man, if I could have faith like that, that would be awesome. You might have thought of the Apostle Paul. He's got holy boldness. Like he feels he's called on a mission. He's a transformed man. He was someone who was against God and now turned for God, right? He's a passionate believer. And Paul, this person that we would have a tendency to idolize and say he's the exact uh, representation of what we want to be as a Christian. Some of us would say that. Um, He writes to the church in Corinth, and and I'm telling you this is a big deal as a setup because he's going to say some very hard things to the church in Corinth. But he says what? The first thing out of his mouth, he says, you've got this great big church you're part of. He says this, I thank God for you all. And I just think that's a radical thought. That, that Paul gives thanks for the church of God, the ecclesia, the, the little C church in Corinth. He's like, I thank God for y'all. And so I, that's the first thing, actually, is that the church is worth thanking God for. That meaning the local gathering of believers, that means that this gathering this morning is worth thanking God for. That you and I, as faithful believers in Christ, ought to be like Paul in this way and thank God for this church. That this church ought to be uh, a blessing to us. The fact that we are gathered together. And we have a tendency to say, man, yeah, I know, but it's just a church. It's just a, a little church, a local church. We ought to be thanking God because Paul believed that God was doing great work through the local church. Even in his absence, by the way, you know, he's writing a letter. He's not even there. Something else. When he says, I thank God for you, there's a huge connection here because the Greek word on this is eucharistos, and it's where we get our word eucharist from. Now, it's really interesting to me that we celebrate uh, once a month communion together, right? And we remember the breaking of the bread of Christ at the last table. But I want to directly connect that to Paul's thanksgiving for the church. That in the same way that Christ sat at the table and, and he, it says he gave thanks, he eucharistoed it to God for the bread, which would be the broken body he was going to give for the sins of the world. In the same way, Paul says, I'm eucharistoed. Christoing God for you. That's what the word means, to thank God for each of you. It doesn't mean like a casual, like, yeah, it's good. He's like, I truly, I truly thank God for you. I believe that the church in Corinth, for all their problems and all their difficulties, was a great blessing for Paul. To, to see the gospel take off anywhere, to see anyone, listen to me, anyone who's willing to learn about the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, to begin to submit themselves to his will, is a blessing to another believer. It's an, it's an honor to see it. And the apostle Paul says, I'm thanking God for the church in Corinth, for y'all, all of y'all there. I wonder about our experience with the local church. I mean, I wonder about our experience here at Family Bible Church. How would our experience, how would our life change if we began to thank God for the people he has called together in this church? See, I, you may not have the problem that I have, but so many times I have this problem where I just see the absence or the lack. I'm not, I don't know why I feel that way sometimes. I do. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this stuff's good, but, and I quickly go to all the stuff that seems wrong, you know, instead of spending time in the Eucharisto and the thanking God for the people that he's called together. By the way, I'm reminded again this morning that God treasures people above everything. The gospel says that the people are the most important thing to God and that, that, the, that, you know, this is the thing that Jesus came. If you look at the way he rebukes people, it's like he rebukes people for not appreciating what God is doing through other people, the gospel breaking through. And so we have this opportunity, but how would our lives change if we, if we would spend more time thanking God for the church, just thanking God for the church? 
I feel like so many times that uh, we spend more time being critical of the church, and I'm the worst of this. I'm not pointing fingers at nobody, right? They say if you point one finger, you got three pointing back at yourself. I might have five <laughs> pointing back at myself. That we have a tendency to be criticizing the very thing that God had intended to be a blessing to us. As a matter of fact, I think often we look back in our lives and we realize that that's the great blessing was to be together. That God was doing amazing things and we didn't even recognize it. Were our hearts not stirred within us when we walked along the road? We would begin to sense what God has done through the people. We begin to have a weight of what God's been doing. Well, why? Why does Paul thank God for the church in Corinth? It's just like, hey, you're good people, whatever. I want to see. He says this, because of the grace given to you in Christ Jesus. And this is the second point I want to make this morning. That we ought to remember that the local church is given grace by Jesus Christ. Paul says, why am I thankful? Because grace has been demonstrated in you and through you. Wait a minute. Because grace has been demonstrated to you and in you and through you. And I think that the order matters there a little bit. That the grace has been given in Christ Jesus. There's a lot being said there for the local church. How many times do, do, we, do we get into the church and we have received grace and people have been graceful and maybe we've even been graceful for a season and then we forget the grace that God has given us? I mean, this is the, one of the fundamental problems, I think, with the church sometimes is we get in and we forget that we are creatures of grace, that there but for the grace of God go I, you know what I mean? That we did not do anything to earn this or deserve this, that someone gave us unmerited favor. I told you last week that the word grace means charity, right? That we were charity cases, that we had no way to know God, and he revealed himself to us. And one of the ways that we go wrong here is we, we receive the grace of Christ that, that comes in. As we come in, we receive the grace of Christ and we bask in the grace of Christ. And then we get in there in the church and we begin to um, not always demonstrate the grace of Christ to others. We begin to ask questions about, well, who can change that situation? What, what could possibly go right in this situation? And that's the wrong attitude. Paul says, what? I thank God for you. Why? Because of the grace that was given to you in Jesus Christ. He could mean the grace that God gave in saving you. I thank God for you because God has saved you, church in Corinth. He could also mean that I, I thank God for you because God has given you grace for one another. As a matter of fact, some of the problems he's going to line out in the coming weeks is going to be some ways that they are overindulging in things that are not of God. And it could even mean ways that the church has been graceful to the community around them. Listen, this is the attitude of Christ. This is the attitude of Christ, to be grace-filled people. We ought to remember that we are recipients of the charity of God, and therefore we are dispensers of the charity of God. That the church of Jesus Christ, that the local church, that family Bible church has been given grace in Christ Jesus. And that should become a marker of our church. And I think it is, by the way. That's not criticism. I just want to be aware of that again. Because there's this moment where it kind of creeps into our heart, and we can be lack grace with one another. God forgive us when we do because we have been given grace. That's what Paul's thankful for. I thank God for you because of his grace given to you in the anointed Jesus Christ, the, the, the Messiah. Why? Verse 5, for in him you have been enriched in every way. You've been enriched in every way. And I'm going to read, the, it says, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, you've been enriched. One of the things that we have a tendency often to do is to see the lack. I just confessed that before you, to see what's not there instead of what is there, or to proclaim what isn't there whenever there's more there than we recognize. I guess I would say it that way. 
that so many times we have a tendency to believe we're ahead of God on things, that we, we see the end coming, we know the outcome, and we don't understand the great storehouse that God has for us. As a church, we've been made rich. The word means to, be, to have abounded. And rich is kind of a weird word, but the key word is in the middle, rich, right? It means literally like wealth. And, and, and we've been um, rich, Paul says, to the church in Corinth and to the local church. We are made rich in every way, or you could say it this way, in everything. It means that you have been made rich, local church, in everything. So that means that you and I, we bump into something and we say there's a limitation. It's like, wait a minute. No, we've been made rich in every way. We ought not to spend our lives thinking what can't be done, what God can't do. Because that's only, not un, that's only misunderstanding God's apportion of what he has for us. Now this, I want to be careful because this is not like all your dreams come true and God will pay all your bills. And I mean, he does pay all our bills, right? But I mean, that's not what we're after. We're not trying to succeed financially, but to realize the wealth that we've been given in Christ. To realize the treasure that's been invested into this local church. And listen to me, church. The treasure that's been invested in this local church. And, and you may not see it. We, we get in and we don't appreciate all the blessing that we have. When we go into the world, we begin to see people who are dying for treasure. Dying for treasure. How? How are we enriched in every way? By the way, I'm, I'm a, behind my slides. Here we go. Here we go. We're enriched in every way. How are we enriched? He says two specific areas. And I want to spend just a minute talking about these two areas because I think it's powerful stuff. He says you are enriched in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Now, I want to be clear. He's not saying you're only enriched in your speaking and your knowledge. He says you're, you're specifically enriched in your speaking and your knowledge, right? And, and, and so we have these two kind of things. The first is this. Our speeches, our words, that we have been given uh, an abundance in our words, not an abundance of words, but an abundance in our speech, in the things that we would say, uh, logos. We've been given an abundance in our discourse with people. This means specifically we've been given things that we can say. You ever had that experience where you see something and you're like, I need to say something. And I don't mean ratting on somebody. I mean, you see something, someone going through a tragedy, a hardship, and you sense, I don't know if you had that experience, you sense that pressing from the Spirit to say, speak, take, take the risk, say the words. Many of us will shy back. Listen, there's grace for us. We'll shy back from that. But there's a moment, opportunity to speak truth. This is why it's such a big deal what the church chooses to say and not to say, right? This is why it's such a big deal that we would we would understand the weight of our words, that we would understand the treasure we've been given in our words. He says, you've been gifted in your words for people. It means, and this is true for everybody, right? But it means our words can build up or tear down, right? Our words can be constructive or destructive. Our, our, the, the Bible says that our, our tongue is a sharp instrument, right? It's, it's, it's a dangerous thing. It can set the world on fire. It can also heal. And I believe as ambassadors of Christ, when we rightly position ourselves to understand the grace we've received and understand that, that we've been blessed in every way, that we can become uh, ambassadors for the gospel and become ambassadors for the truth, that we ought to think about those things we're called to say and say them, have, have some dialogue with people. The, tr- the ways the church has been blessed is in our speech. But then also he says this, you've been blessed in all knowledge, and that's wisdom. It's a uh, gnosko, right? It also means... Uh, it's more than just wisdom. I mean, it's wisdom, but it's a little different than wisdom. It's an intimate knowledge, right? 
that Paul says that the church in Corinth has been blessed with knowledge. And you could think, well, yeah, they know how the world works and how the world out there works and how the gospel works. They've been blessed with the knowledge of the gospel, which is, by the way, more than anyone could have hoped for to know what the gospel is and how that works and what God has done through Christ. But it means that you've been blessed in a way of how to apply it and, and, and where to see it. That, you know, I was thinking about this this week about people who wonder at the world. And I think that Christians ought to wonder at the world more than any, as much or more than anyone else. Like, no one should outwonder us about life. No one should look at the, the, st- the stars in the sky or the sun coming up or the moon shining or the trees that grow or the flowers that come up or the rain that falls or the snow that comes in the winter and be more amazed than we are. We should, we should have a sense of, of wonder at what God has done. Why? Because we've been given all knowledge. We've been given wisdom, intimacy. The word... Uh, it has a, um, a, it's knowledge, but it's not just knowledge. Matter of fact, some of the early Christians got this wrong. We're called agnostics. They thought it was all about head knowledge and nothing else. That's not knowledge. It's about relationship. It's about entering in. You know, it's both of these things that Paul says they're blessed in. It's about dialogue. It's uh, uh, someone else. Your words, you have, uh, you've been enriched in your words. And you've been enriched in your knowledge, your understanding. So my question on this is, how do we use our words? Hmm. How will you use your words today? How will I use my words today? Or how will I use my knowledge? How will we interact with one another and others because of what we've come to know? And I mean that in the deepest sense of the word. Some of these truths are too, almost too hard to get out. But how do we know? So Paul says that's a big deal. That's in verse 5, right? In all speaking and in all knowledge. Why? And then this is interesting. Paul says, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. This is... Um, something that ought to be happening in our life. We ought to be confirmed in Christ. Um, the word confirmed is kind of interesting, but it, it means to be made solid, to be, to be put on solid ground, to be have, have a solid standing. But I want to point out that he says, uh, the, the NIV translates it, our testimony about you, but actually in the Greek, because I looked it up because I'm a geek, uh, it was, uh, it's the testimony. Because of the testimony about Christ that's been confirmed in you. This is Paul saying, we thought God was at work in your life. We thought he was moving. But it's been proven now. How? It's been made solid by where your feet have gone, by the things you've begun to do. And this is the reality that, that our, our, our belief, our faith ought to be manifest in our life in some way. The testimony about Christ was confirmed in, and there's the word again, all of you, you all, or y'all. It's been confirmed. What our hope was that you were, you were truly following Christ has been confirmed in you. And this is true for local church, that we have this confirmation in Christ. With, as with all things, the local church ought to bear the marks or the attitude of Christ or of anointing. So to be confirmed in Christ is to be confirmed in the gospel, but it means to be confirmed in the anointing of God, that it ought to be demonstrated some way in our life. And I want to do one practical application for you real quick on this deal, right? There, well, there's a couple of things here, right? But there is a common bond amongst believers. There's a, a spirit of unity. There's a uh, just quite not tangible for me anyway, but I can sense it. You know, they always say, you know it when you see it. Like, that we want to see that in one another. The, the Christ coming into us. The, the, the work of the gospel through us. We want to be encouraged by that, right? Not, not just like um, taking the words that we've said, but seeing the demonstration. The Paul says, when I came to, I came not with words only, but in spirit and in power. Now I mean like, look at my abracadabra. I mean, the, the manifestation of God's blessing in our life. We ought to be confirmed in Christ. Have you ever had a friend of yours that's come to faith? 
Like, they're, they're going through stuff in their life, whatever, they, they, and they come into the church, they hear the gospel, like, oh, I need this so bad. And they're like, yes, and what can I do? How can I get it? And then they pray a prayer. They, they say, yes, I believe this. And maybe they're even baptized. And, and I, man, I love that stuff. I get so excited. I'm like, praise the Lord, dude, this is awesome. But how do you know? How do you know? Because, you know, you would say, that's it, man. We know. That just happened. It happened, right? But then you watch them in their life. And when the crisis is averted, when the thing changes, when they don't need it, they just kind of drift away. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not the God I know. <laughs> I was reminded we were singing a song this morning um, of Peter. Uh, Jesus turns and he says to Peter, um, are you going to leave me too? And Peter replies this, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Man, that's how I feel about Jesus. So people who, who go, well, this season's over for me. I, I don't understand that. How you can walk away from the very source of life, the very one who gives breath to your lungs. See, and that's a, that's a problem because you go, now, wait a minute, so how do you know? You see the confirmation in Christ in their life. It's not a works thing. You don't have to pretend to make this happen. You have to be in a relationship with God where he's working things out. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's kind of ugly. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's kind of awkward because he's a great big God and you're a little big person and you're full of sin like I am and it just comes out, but he's working things out through us. And Paul writes back to the church in Corinth and goes, man, I praise God for you because I see the confirmation of the gospel, the testimony that we had hoped was true. You know what that means for me? Uh, Paul had been going on and probably talking about that church in Corinth, man. They get it. Those folks over there, they understand. And then he says, it's been confirmed. It's been made manifest amongst you. This is um, what we ought to look for in our lives. Fruit over time. Uh, this morning, Dale opened us up actually with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Might have missed one in there. And these are things that we ought to see in our lives more and more. That's the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. We don't, we don't manufacture them. It's the presence of God in our life living out through us. One of my favorite things is, uh, one way you could say this confirmation is this. It's where the rubber meets the road in our lives with Christ. It's where the practical meets the theoretical. It's, it's the manifestation. It means to have sure steps in the local church, to see the church making progress. And I don't mean, I mean like real progress in our lives as disciples in Christ. And Paul's excited about it. And he says, why? I'm excited. For in him you have been enriched in every way because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Like it's, it's related to our testimony. It's related to the enrichment you've received that you do know the God of the gospel. You can almost sense Paul's heart singing. <clears throat> Why would he write back to the church if he didn't care? You can almost sense his excitement at what God has already done in the local church. So much so that look at what happens in verse 7. Therefore, because of all that's true, you do not lack any spiritual gift, church. You don't lack any spiritual gift. The, the Greek here is crazy, crazy because it's like double, double down. Sometimes um, if it says a negative, you know in the English a double negative is a positive. We always play the game with our parents. You know, you said not now when it means yes or whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. Here, the, the double negative, it means it's like doubling down on the idea that there's absolutely nothing, not lacking, not one gift. It's the way it reads, which means that we've been given every spiritual gift in Christ, not lacking. The church is not lacking one gift We've been given every gift we need to do what God has created and caused us to do. That there's, th here's another way you could say it. The gifts aren't late. <laughs> they aren't behind. This is all coming from the original language, by the way. I'm not just throwing out adjectives I like. It means that you're not short. Y you don't just have, if there was only, if, if God had only given me one more thing, then I could. That conversation's over. Because Paul says, local church, you've been given every spiritual gift. You've not lacked one. Everything you could need. 
I believe this is true for us in our lives spiritually. I believe this is part of the Romans manifestation that we are without excuse, right? That, that, that God has given us every gift we need to do what he's called us to do. There's nothing we lack. There's nothing that's waiting. God's not withholding, trying to get us to get a combination. He's given us the gifts. And then we're called to live into them, to, to, to try them, to use them. Nothing's late. Nothing's not yet. We have every gift we need. Not one. I just want you to hear those words. Not one gift has been lacking. Uh, today, I, I'm, of course, mindful that here we're, we're here on Mother's Day. <clears throat> I can tell you this. Um, there is, uh, I've said this before. I'll just say this again. There's no time that a man feels more incapable of anything than when he's witnessing a mom become a mom in birth, like in childbirth. There's just nothing. Like, you realize she has everything. I have nothing. You know what I mean? I'm serious. Like, if you got, if, and by the way, if I say to young fathers, if you get a chance to be in there, just be in there, man. Just do it. I know people, oh, it's going to be weird. No, just do it. Most guys do it these days. You're going to feel useless, worthless, hopeless, helpless. Can't, you just, just be, it's going to be crazy. But I, but I have a secret for you. I think if most moms were honest, they would believe that they're not up to the job. I mean, they obviously went through delivery by the grace of God. They got through that part. It's like a crisis. But then the next 18, no, 25, wait, 30, 65 years. It's the rest of your life, this commitment to raise a child. And I think if most moms were honest and most dads were honest, you realize we're inadequate. We, we, we don't know what we're doing. And it's one of the experiences of being a new parent. You drive away from the hospital, like, we're, these people are crazy. We don't know what we're doing. And then you, sometimes you deceive yourselves for a moment, right? We say, oh, we got this, we got this, we're good, we're good, we're good. And then you age a little more and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I've heard people say before, um, God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think that God won't give you more than you can handle with him. Without him, you probably can't handle it. You probably can't. The truth is what? That you have been given every gift, that you're not lacking one gift. I want to speak a little bit to moms for a minute and maybe dads to some degree. If you begin to feel inadequate in your role, if you begin to feel like you, you don't know, or maybe your parenting has come with hurts and heartaches, I'm sure it has, or maybe that you would understand that God has given you every gift for what he's called you to do, every gift. That even means that if you've been through hardship, that God's called you to the healing that he's not left you, abandoned you in your brokenness and in your hurt, that he's healing, he's working. But with Christ, with Christ, all things are possible. We have this opportunity. For those who are in Christ, there's nothing that we've been led through to that he won't lead us through. For those who are in Christ, and I want to go back now to talk about just for a minute about the knowledge, the confirmation of knowing God, that there's nothing that he's called us, he's led us to a moment, maybe it's the moment today, that he's not going to lead us through the moment. But what he desires from us is a relationship in these moments. Part of the reason that parenting is such a struggle is because he wants us to depend on him ultimately for parenting. He wants us to depend on him ultimately to raise children, to be glorifying to him. We're not lacking one gift. I want you to hear that. When that voice of inadequacy comes in, I want you to say, yes, but Christ is with me. You're right, I can't, but with Christ, I can. You're right, it seems hopeless at times, but with Christ, there's hope that we would spend our lives living in that place knowing that we've been given every gift. Paul says something else next. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, that the local church in its state is constantly waiting for revelation, that this is a normal condition. 
so many of us would say we'd be so happy if we could just see the end, if we could know what was coming, if we know what was next, if we know what was at the end of the road. But revelation is because it's a dynamic experience with God that we're always eagerly waiting for Christ to be revealed. The word says, as you wait, and remember we have gifts, all gifts we need, and we have, you know, um, been uh, enriched in every way as we wait. But it says, as we wait, that there's a season of our life that's waiting for revelation. And this is the season that we're constantly looking, constantly wondering, constantly talking to God about what are you doing here, God? The word means to be unveiling or uncovering or unhiding God from our lives. And as a matter of fact, that's an interesting thought that God would be unhidden from our lives. I don't believe for a moment that people who are outside of the church are far from God and that he's disinterested in them. I think he's hidden. One of the ways we can come to speak truth into our life is to go, God's been with you the whole time. We can watch for the revelation of God in people's lives. Two ways we can do this. One, we wait for Christ to be literally revealed in the second coming. I want to kind of just spend a minute talking about that. That we literally stand with all creation waiting for the second coming of Christ. Because as much as this life is a blessing, this life isn't, is broken. And so we long for the moment when Christ, when the heavens will open, the, you know, the clouds roll, and he will reveal himself to all the world at the same time. So we literally wait for his return. But then we also wait for him to make himself figuratively known in our lives. To wait to he make himself known in leadership in our lives, also known as lordship in our lives. In the meantime, that we watch and we say, what are you doing, God? What are we, where are we going next? That we're watching for revelation. And then what does Paul write? He says, how do we wait? We wait eagerly. And, and, and this means to eagerly await God means to be looking away from our circumstances and looking toward what God has for us. It means to turning our, our eyes from the things when we see the lack or the want or, or what isn't right or how it seems hopeless toward the hope and the truth and the kingdom that's coming. It means that we wait eagerly. You can sense in the words how, how we're just pent up waiting for the revelation of Christ. Oh, Christ, that you would reveal yourself in our lives. Oh, Christ, that you would reveal yourself in the local church that we would know what's next. And yet we wait because he reveals himself. So we're eagerly awaiting revelation in the church. Then last, and this is the greatest, Paul, and, and this is the last thing Paul's going to say we're giving some hard stuff. So this is all by way of kind of introduction, but th it's this, that we are sustained and we are blameless. The local church, and this is where we get into criticism of the church and stuff, that we are sustained and we're blameless. He says this, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God himself, that Jesus Christ, will keep us strong to the end. That means to be sustained in him. So you worry about the state of the church. You worry about what God is doing through the gospel. And yet it's all dependent on what Christ is doing. Paul's going to make a great case of this when he talks next in some of the problems in the church. He's going to talk about who's in charge of the church. And it's not people. It's God himself. And so he's going to keep us strong to the end. And I can think of, um, for those weak, need, you know, situations, for those moments you're like, I can't go, I can't do anymore, I don't know what we're doing. It's the, to hear Paul proclaim the truth that God will sustain the local church. I told you many years ago, I heard people kind of uh, lamenting, oh, if the church, if we don't do this and don't do that, the church is going to cease to exist. And I'm like, man, I don't think that that's true. I think we ought to be fervently after what God's doing to the church. And yet, it says here that Christ will keep us strong to the end. That's all y'all. That's not you only in your own faith. Like you can read that. He will keep you strong to the end. But that's a misreading. He will keep you all strong to the end. That God's going to continue to manifest himself amongst you, the people of God, all of you, so that you will be, and here's a great word, blameless 
on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that that's a, a term of like lawyers use. You will not be convicted of a crime. See, I feel like sometimes we stand and we criticize the church of God. And, we, and I, I'm telling you, I'm confessing as one who does it. But the word here says that on the day of Christ, the day of judgment, we'll be found blameless because of Christ Jesus. Not blameless in our sin, that's given on the cross, but blameless in the interactions of the church, that we will be found without legal consequence for our roles in the church. On that day, we'll be found blameless. Why? Look at verse 9. Because God who has called you into fellowship with his son, is faithful. Why? Because God is faithful. When we, when we get to understand the confidence we can have in Christ and what he's doing in our lives, the manifestation that he has amongst his people, we can treasure it. Why? Because God is faithful. It's not ultimately dependent on us. It's him. He's the one who's faithful, and he's the one that has called us into fellowship or kinship with his son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. So as a church body, we have this enduring hope that in the end, we'll be found sustained and blameless. Can you imagine that's true? Can you imagine that's true? Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, do you know what's wrong with the church? You ever had those conversations with people? I have them all the time. <laughs> Maybe because I'm a pastor. But people come to me all the time. You know what's wrong with the church? And I'm like, no, tell me. What's wrong with the church? And I'll tell you, I, I, I listen to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, it's okay. Yeah, okay. I, get I hear you. I hear you. But listen to me, church. You know what's right with the church? You know what's right with the church? We know what's right is this. That God is faithful. <laughs> people can go, church is a mess. You're like, amen, it is a mess. But guess what? God is faithful. <laughs> you guys don't know what you're doing. You're right, we know. But guess what? God is faithful. And we get to just spend our time looking toward the eternity to come where God is going to fulfill all his promises. We get to live and bask in the upside-down nature of the gospel of Christ because God is faithful. The things that he has started in you, he will bring to completion. And we have this confidence. He will sustain us, and he will present us blameless. Who? To himself. To himself on the day of judgment. His church. His people. And this is the, the last of the encouraging words now. Then Paul's going to say hard, hard things, and we're going to hear him all with him. But I just want to bask in that. Um, I want you to pray with me, if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of who you are in our lives, and we thank you for those moments that we had with you just now and hearing your word and maybe the thing that we needed to apply, that thing that we needed to hear from you. Maybe even now there's like not something that we've recognized. Would you bring something to mind for us that we could know you more fully today? Father, that your love is so... Um, overwhelming that you would not only save us and not only call us to an eternal kingdom with you and not only call us into a relationship with you but you would surround us for with people who are also on the journey who are who are struggling sinners just like us and who are getting it right and getting it wrong and yet pressing on because of your faithfulness to us and we thank you so much that you have redeemed your church that that we can uh, be called as part of your body under your headship your, your lordship over us i pray lord that if, if there are folks here today that, that think that they're left out of the God equation, that, 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 that your spirit would just speak truth into their lives, that, that your good purposes is to include them, that, that maybe the people here who feel the most frail and weak are the most important to what you're trying to do in the church. And may we recognize, Father, in you and in each other the great blessing we've been given. May we praise you for it. May we be like Paul and just give you thanks for what you've done awesome. We love you so much. We thank you for the people of God who spur us forward. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.